Hello, and welcome to the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we go back to the very beginning. Jeff Randall and myself are reviewing A New Hope. We're talking about the Star Wars movie that started it all. We're talking about how the other things we've been watching so far, the prequels, fit into the continuity that this movie established. And mostly we're just talking about what we love. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew Westfox, your host. I'm joined, as always, for movie discussions by Mr. Jeff Randall. Jeff, how are we doing today? It is a, it is a day, sir. It's yeah. been a rough weekend, but you know we're we're back to hope. Yeah. Um, for those uh, who are listening to this later, um, or also because of the the odd uh, recording and then publishing schedule, Jeff and I are recording this on the Monday uh, after the weekend when we had the death of Chadwick Boseman, uh, the actor who played. A number of wonderful roles. Uh, I just recently got to see him play James Brown in Get On Up, in which he was very moving. Um, but especially for us geeks, uh, T'Challa, uh, Black Panther. And I think we are... Um, I really loved what you and Matt got to do on the MCU podcast, doing a kind of a memorial episode to him and really honoring him. And and you're right. It, it's nice that we're talking about um, what is, for me, kind of the foundational geek movie. And, and a moment that is both a really sad moment, I think, for fans, but also... There's been a bittersweet, uh, touching aspect to this when I've just seen how much the fan community, the other creator community, like there's been so much wonderful celebration of, of Chad and the life he led and the work he did and all the great things he did. Yeah, and you know it's it's really um, it's really crazy that it takes the death of someone to really see the impact that they had on so many people's lives. Yeah, and. You can you can see on the internet. Just go anywhere on the internet, and you'll see just outpouring of of all kinds of feelings from every community of people that this man has touched, and yeah. all of the like, especially all of the the young black lives that he has inspired. And, you know, with a hero that looks like them finally in the lead with mm-hmm. such great representation in that movie. In, in Black Panther and also in the Avengers movies, it's just it's a it's a crippling loss for the for the MCU. Yeah, talking with uh, another fan actually on the MCU chat uh, discussion board about this, um, and I, I I somehow wound up telling the story of how and this ties into Star Wars, um, the first Halloween after that movie came out, and I watched not only a number of children of color and black kids being so excited about that, but I saw white kids dressing up as Black Panther. And not in, like, blackface or anything like that, just, like, this was the hero they wanted to play. Um, and, and tying it back to Star Wars, it, it made me remember, with, with a bit of shame, but, but I think also just, like, this is how much our culture has changed. When I was a kid, Lando Calrissian was my biggest hero. There was no one else in the world who I thought was just greater or more wanted to dress up on, uh, more wanted to, to be like. But the idea of dressing up as him for Halloween would have never occurred to me. It was just, you know, that was just outside of the realm of anything possible. Um, and so to see white kids doing that, it just, it just really, it showed me how much his work, to back up a second, like we often talk on, on this, uh, my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, about how this is the thing that these stories can do, is that, you know, some people listen when you get up and give a speech about racism or police brutality or any of these things. And for others... Sometimes they don't, you don't reach them through the speeches, you reach them through popular entertainment that also just makes points like that. And I think Chadwick did so much as Black Panther, but also some of his other acting roles. Um, 
you know, the fact that he played Jackie Robinson, who was, uh, you know, a real a historical figure very much in this vein of, of breaking down these boundaries and some of his other work. It's just, I think you're right. It's a real loss for fandom, but a real, real wonderful time that we can, like, you know, take this moment to appreciate all that he did. Yep. Yep. So... <laughs> I don't want to want to downplay it, but enough about that. We got to yeah, talk no, no. about Star Wars. Yeah, I mean the the, tra- the 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 transition moment is hard for sure, but I like the you made a joke about how it's so good that we get to talk about some hope. Um, and, and that's what we do. We're talking today about the fourth movie of Star Wars, but the first one, the one that came out and started everything. <laughs> Wait, uh, the fourth new... one, but the first one. Yeah, exactly. that doesn't make any sense. I know. Well, welcome to the twisted mind of George Lucas. Um, <laughs> my uh, my my personal favorite of all of this is when um. It's one of those memes of the Jedi sitting around the council, and Obi-Wan says, why were the movies released in such order? And Yoda says, in charge of releasing, I was. Um, <laughs> which I quite like. So yeah, what's overall thoughts on this movie? What's, what's, what's kind of your story about when you saw it and how you feel about it and how it felt rewatching it now? Well, uh, let's, I don't remember the first time that I saw it. I was much too young. Um, and then like, it didn't stick with me at that point. And, you know, when I was when I was inside the demographic for episodes one, two and three, I went and saw them in the theaters and was like, meh. But then like in in later years, I went and rewatched the original trilogy and was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, I can get behind this. Mm -hmm. And like digging more into the older public, uh, digging more into, um, you know, the Battlefront two game like way back when, like all of these things. Uh, all these, it's mostly been games and then eventually um, a couple of books, you know, digging into those, it, it's like, I, I, uh, uh, what's the word? I can appreciate this first movie, A New Hope, Star yeah. Wars. I, I can appreciate it for what it is. It started the whole thing and it is great for that. But honestly, at this point, I think that it may be the weakest <laughs> Yeah. No, not sorry, not the weakest. It's certainly better than the the prequel trilogy, but the weakest uh-huh. of the original three, definitely. That's fair. I think that's very fair. I think it, it it's interesting. I think I think this is a great example of something we've talked on before about how you know the movie that you see for the first time when you're twenty or thirty is always going to be different than the movie when you first see as a kid. Yeah, and I think this is my favorite movie of all time. And it is certainly the movie that I watched more than anything else of all time. Um, I don't remember a time in my life before I had seen Star Wars. Uh, my mother likes to joke that when I was a little kid, you know, we were one of the first families on our block to have a, a video uh, machine. We actually had a Betamax even before there were VHSs. Take, take me way back. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, when my mother needed to go out shopping for a while, but we couldn't afford to, you know, get uh, childcare or something like that. Um, she would often just pop Star Wars into the VHS, because into the Betamax, because she knew if Star Wars was on, there was no way that I was going to toddle off and cause some problems. I was glued to that television. <laughs> um, it sounds like she could afford some child care. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. You know, Betamaxes were not cheap, but it was just... It was interesting rewatching it, because I do I do hear a lot of the criticisms that you get, and I, I, I do often wonder how much of it's nostalgic coloring it for me. And I'm sure we're going to talk about some things, and you'll probably have some critiques that a part of me is like, no, this is perfect. You can't critique this movie. Um, <laughs> but I definitely know there are some weak points, and I definitely know there are some things that don't really work. Um, and I don't think I would even argue that this is the best Star Wars movie. I think it really just speaks to, you know, as a fan, there's the stuff that you fall in love with, you know? Um, yeah. I think this is true about, you know, the um, 
Michael Keaton is the Batman I saw when I was, you know, 10 years old. And so he's always going to be my image of the perfect Batman. Um, you know, and I think it's just, you know, I can watch others later as an adult and intellectually, but just that nostalgia factor. Um, he's my so, second place. Yeah. Who, who's your, who's your, who's your first? Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I would say, I think the best Batmans are a combination of, uh, Kevin Conroy and Christian Bale, but it's just that, that Keaton's my favorite, you know, cause mm-hmm. I think we discovered him later. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot we can talk about with this movie, but let's just kind of start, um, again, overall. So what, what were some of the things in particular you really loved? And what were some of the things that you maybe kind of, um, ha- had some gripe with? <laughs> so I'll start with the gripes so that I can get that out of the way. Um, and it's not necessarily about this movie. My gripes at this point are with George Lucas specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's more of a question of like, hey, George, when you were making the original trilogy, did you go back and watch your previous movies? <laughs> did you? Because there's some things that don't quite line up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, watching it this time, watching it this this most recent time with a much more critical lens rather than it just being on and me being like, ee, you know, sci-fi, wee, or, you know, if you can call it sci-fi even. But... Uh. Watching it this time around, I, I start to realize, like, oh, my God, Obi-Wan is, like, a dirty, rotten liar. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a great guy. And, like, he was the hero of the of the uh, the prequel trilogy, mm-hmm. so we assume. But, like, now I feel like I have to go back and watch those and be like, what, you know, where have you gone wrong, sir? Yeah. It's been your fall from grace that we've been watching. <laughs> Well, it's interesting the way you said that he's a dirty liar, because to me, I think of him not as I, I think he is very much lying. I think he's very much lying to himself because I think I think in a lot of ways, his arc is the arc of him dealing with his guilt and him. And I yeah, because now we've seen the prequels, we know this much more, the details of it. But even just from Lily says, as we then learn in, in Empire, what the actual truth was. I think he the only way that he can come to understand this and and stay sane is by thinking to himself that that Darth Vader murdered Anakin Skywalker, which is, you know, and and as he says later in uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, it is true from a certain point of view. Um, (laughs) And and I think I think he's saying it one part to protect Luke. I think he's saying it one part because he thinks the galaxy needs Luke to trust him and Luke won't trust him. If he says, yeah, I tried to do this before I fucked up and killed all the, got all the Jedi killed. Um, <laughs> but I, I think more than anything, it's about him working out his guilt. And that that's part of why that the sacrifice he makes to Vader is so important because it's him kind of not ret- ret- restitution, but there's some element of like, you know, this is the sacrifice I can make to try and fix what I put wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the, the him lying about Vader is great and all <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, I think that that though is undercut a lot by the prequel trilogy. So like, you know, if you've got young kids that have never seen anything Star Wars, you have got to you got to start them off with this movie, yeah. even though it might lose them because like graphically, visually, it's just not anywhere close to what the the prequel trilogy and especially the sequel trilogy mm-hmm. or any of the ancillary, you know, anthology stuff like, you know, 
the Clone Wars, like any of it. it none of this is nowhere near any of that visually. So it's going to be tough to to keep a little kid, um, uh, a rather a modern little kid, uh, focused in this. But you know, you can to get to get that shock and surprise. You got to start with this movie because the, yeah. the whole prequel trilogy is just like what secret? It's out. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, 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 out of the bag. I think that's a good point, and I think I think you're right in um, um, overall that this movie sets up a lot of things that I think, and maybe this is part of why some of the arguments I get into the fandom, and part of why I think I love Last Jedi so much, and we'll get to that movie later. But I feel like this movie goes in a very particular direction that then they lose a little bit in by Return of the Jedi, but especially in the prequels, because um, I think you're right that it doesn't. Watching it now, it doesn't quite line up in the same way, you know. Um, one thing, just for instance, is I I know um, when when the, when the Last Jedi was made, they do talk about the Jedi as a religion, and that bothered a lot of people because they're like, no, this is it's a philosophy, it's not it's not a it's not a religion. But the way Luke talks about how you know the religion has lost its way, um, and so that's really interesting. In this movie, on three different occasions, they refer to the Force as a religion. Yep. Um, other Imperial officers say that to Darth Vader. Um, Han Solo. Han's hokey religion. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and so that was interesting. Like the, that that's that idea of what the Force is and who the Jedi are has definitely changed. And, and, and depending on your definition in the sequels, they went back to it or you know a different perspective on it. But you're right. I, I can see there's definitely some things that don't line up. Um, if I mean, nothing, go the ahead. fact that the fact that Obi Wan didn't recognize R two when like R two has been in line like probably number two in line to have been your best friend, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. yeah. for like decades. I mean, but stuff like that, I feel like that's, I, I notice it when I watch this movie, but I can't blame this movie for it. I blame the prequels, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, and that's why I say like, it's not an issue with this movie per se. It's an issue with George Lucas and Hey, did you watch your own freaking movies? Yeah. But something that was funny that came out of it that I didn't I didn't realize um like it didn't it didn't click until I watched it this time when uh Obi-Wan first runs into uh into Luke and and the droids in the in the desert on Tatooine he says hello there Oh yeah which is his line constantly throughout the uh the prequels that was yeah. really good Yeah he says, um, hello there. And, was, and it like goes to R2 and he's like, beep, 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 beep. I'm like, that, I'm pretty sure that translates to General Kenobi. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, just And just further on that subject, I mean, we, we talked about this at the end of Rogue One, but the intro of this movie is fantastic. But one of the things that really sells it is Princess Leia really making the case of like, transmissions? What transmissions? I, I'm just doing this mission. Um which, you know, since Vader literally saw someone put the transmissions in her ship and then the ship fly away, doesn't really hold up as much. Um, the, the other thing that is just so glaring to me, how old does Obi-Wan Kenobi seem to you in this movie? Uh, in this movie, he seems like he's 60 or 70. Yeah, like somewhere late 60s, 70s. He's yeah. 57 years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, timeline doesn't quite match up there. Um and I just want to go back to one thing you said about the um, kids watching this movie. I, I think you're right. And I, I've heard from um, younger friends of mine, even, that they find this movie very hard because they find it so slow. 
Um, and this is, I guess, just me being an old man. This, to me, is a perfectly paced movie. Like, I love the the slow panning shots and the anticipation that things build. And I, I do find a lot of movies today incredibly jarringly fast. Um, so just, you know, if there's any old fogies out there who like the movie in the same way I do, please, <laughs> please write in and know. But I, I think, I think that's just a thing of, you know, time, you know, tastes change. Um, yeah. you know, I think, I, I remember I once watched Casablanca with a friend who'd never seen it. And, and her comment was, this is so cheesy. It's using every bad cliche from these kind of movies I've ever seen. No, it made those cliches. <laughs> like, this is where they all started. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think with with Star Wars, it's both a testament to how important a movie it was, but it also changed it. That's so much of what it did. We just think of it, like you said, the, the effects on this for the time were mind-blowing, but now they look pretty basic um, yep. in ways. And I, some of it I did love, and I'll, I'll comment on that. But, um, yeah, so let's just kind of go through, go through the movie and, and hit on some points. Um, the scroll I love, uh, though I, do, I never quite understand why they put some, some titles in um, all caps. And maybe this is just because of internet speak, but now it just feels like they're just shouting, you know, like Death Star. The world is under control. The Galactic Empire. Um, but it's just a fun <laughs> little piece of exposition. I think. I think on that though, I, I think that they're they're specifically capitalizing those those uh, proper nouns that you need to remember, like the the points of information that are important. Because like if you go back to the the opening scroll. In the prequel trilogy, they mention a lot of things like Count Dooku in the second one. They mention things that, you know, it's it's a whole bunch of stuff and none of it comes back up until like halfway through the movie. And by then the scroll is gone out of your mind. Yeah. But in this, it's like, you know, the, it, it's a time of unrest, civil war, like all of these things. All of the things that are mentioned in the scroll are immediately touched upon. They immediately get into it. And that's mm-hmm. why the scroll in this movie is so much better than the prequel trilogy yeah. scrolls. Yeah. And, and, and I I kind of want, as I said, because I watched it, it was too too late for me. I, I never connected that it was weird. But I, I remember talking to my parents and them hearing like how weird it was to be sitting in the theater and the first things you see as you go see this strange new movie that you've heard about be the words episode four, you know, and like people <laughs> wondering, like, wait, did I miss something? Like what happened? Like that was such an interesting storytelling choice that he made. And I, in some ways I like the idea of jumping right into the beginning of the story. And I kind of feel like the prequels, it's one more way in which I wish the prequels had been done very differently because it's kind of this idea of like we can never tell you the beginning of the story because everything that happened is because something happened before it and something happened before it and something happened before it so here we are in the middle of the story let's go it's kind of like you said you know just being dropped in the middle of it you can't you can't go through all the things with you know with this particular movie he was like okay this is the best point to insert people get people interested to tell like a, a heroic story, a gripping story. Like there were mm-hmm. a lot of parts of it that were pretty suspenseful. Yeah. And there, you know, there's the big triumph at the end and, you know, like you've got John Williams on your side. So the music is going to help the entire time. Oh, yeah. Use that, you know, and this was kind of the best insertion point. And that's, you know, that's great. There's a huge canon that goes, you know, that goes back eons, millennia in in this in this fandom. Like, we'll tell the rest of it later. Just like we gotta get the the story out there, so yeah, to speak. Exactly. 
just a couple of things I noticed from the beginning. Um, first of all, Star Destroyers are really, really big. Like, yeah. And Ooh. now it's unfortunate that I can't see that scene without partially thinking of the scene that makes fun of it in Spaceballs. But, like, it, if you can put that aside, it reminds you that, like, the first time you see a space, you see this, like, starship, and then you just see the Star Destroyer go on and on. It's such an effective shot. Like, it really just reminded me of, like, yeah, these things are, are terrifyingly powerful ships. Yeah. Big and imposing. Um, I don't know why they call them Star Destroyers, though, because they can't do that. Yeah, they can't blow up a planet, let alone a star. But, you know, it, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, they also call the Stormtroopers the most accurate, and that's obviously not true. Although, in that first hallway scene, we see numerous people shot by Stormtroopers. So, you know, I feel yep. like that scene's the pinnacle. Um, I also just on the uh, what you're saying about the colors, one thing I really noticed is how uh, you're saying about the design. I think you're right. The design here is more minimalistic. But the fact that every scene that's on an Imperial starship, whether it's the Death Star, the Star Destroyers, all of the colors are white and black with a little bit of gray. Um, I just thought that was so interesting. Like you never, you almost never see someone like wearing whites, you know, reds or greens or blues or anything like that. It's just very, there's nothing on the walls that's any other under colors. It's all just very stark, those three colors. Yeah. And the only ones that have any amount of gray to them are the officers. Right. Right. I think that's a good point. I mean, that that's kind of telling of the whole philosophy that like mm-hmm. you're it's, you know, black and white with only the people in charge getting to decide where the gray areas are. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, <clears throat> you know, we get the intro of Darth Vader, which I, I'd forgotten that all he does is breathe in his first scene. Like we don't even hear his voice for a while, which was just I, I just thought chilling. I like, get such a great introduction to him. Um, yeah. And you end up going a long time before uh, any humans actually speak. It's all like oh, uh, C-3PO is pretty much the only one to speak for a little while. Um, <laughs> and like th- that's one thing that I uh, I kind of noticed on this one. Like C-3PO treats R2 like trash. Oh, my God. He really does. <laughs> He's such an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, he calls him so many names. He kicks him. Yeah. Like He treats R2 like garbage. And as far as we know, the first thing that we hear translated from R2 is when he calls C-3PO a mindless philosopher. So right. th- these two clearly have a kind of frenemies thing going on. At this yeah. Point. And like yeah. there was one point where, uh, where 3PO is like, I don't like you. <laughs> like, dude. <laughs> they don't like you either. Yeah. You're such a jerk. <laughs> and I do think like, you know, you know, I'll admit that's not the perfect movie. Um I know that George Lucas really loved droids. You know, his first version of the script, it was all droids. And we have a long sequence of the droids getting lost on Tatooine and then found by the Jawas and then, you know, like reconnecting after they go their other ways and then eventually getting sold by the Jawas. And you can probably cut 70% of that. Um you know, it, it's interesting world building, but I think it doesn't really add anything to the story. And it's probably, I think, especially coming as soon as it does, since it is probably a big part of why so many people think of this movie is so slow. Yeah, the, the movie is two hours and four minutes long, <clears throat> according to Disney Plus. And it uh, it takes a good little clip to get it. Like, it takes a little while to get into the actual story to even meet luke Mm -hmm. it takes a good long time but you know that's that's part of it that's part of the story is that all of this war all of this stuff is going on outside of luke um yeah luke is just a boy on a farm 
in some backwater planet, you know, like if it's, let's see, if there was a, a, a shining planet or a shining star, I think he said at the center of the universe, this would be the farthest from it. Yeah. I mean, it's very much the backwater story, you know? Right. Um, which actually reminds me of something I've always wondered about. And I, I wonder if you, have, I don't think they've ever officially answered it. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts on this. Um, you know, especially having just seen Rogue One, we know this is the movie at the very start of the rebellion. You know, they've just come together. It's a bunch of just separate people. And and Luke says, you know, like he doesn't like the Empire, but he doesn't think there's anything he can do about it. So when he talks about going off to the Academy, he means the Imperial Academy, doesn't he? Uh, I guess is there so. Anything else it could be? I don't think that there's another Academy that could be around. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that means he's a total hypocrite. I mean, like lots of people, you know, don't like what the U.S. military does, but the U.S. military is the way to, you know, pay for college or get out of your home or just get to, you know, get out of your small podunk town. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with Luke feeling that way. But it's an interesting thought that that yeah, he was getting ready to maybe join the Imperial Academy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I hate to bring up Solo, but. <laughs> um, go for it you can yeah uh speaking of joining the military to get out of where you are <laughs> oh yeah it's the same thing he does and for understandable reasons oh, um, just uh, <laughs> there's that uh, se- scene where 3po is talking to uncle owen about why he should buy these droids i feel like c3po would be so good as a used car salesman Right. Because he's so good at like, oh, you want this? I can do- Oh, you don't want that? Well, actually, I can do this. Oh, you don't want that? Well, I can do this too. Like, he's just so <laughs> slimy in that regard. Like, what do you want? I can do it. Yes. Oh, you want me to speak that language? Ah, well, it's like a second language to me. Yeah. I grew up speaking that language. Like, but you're a droid. You didn't grow up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also, especially because you just said the Kevin Conroy, and I know you love Batman the Animated Series. Yes. When you hear Mark Hamill say, but I just want to pick up some power converters. Ugh. Can you, did it ever occur to you that that voice would later give you the Joker laugh? No, no. Like, you can't, you look at this guy and you're just like, yeah, this guy isn't going to go anywhere after this. Yeah, like, (laughs) he's fine. Uh, but I don't. I think Harrison Ford really steals the movie as well as James Earl Jones and like five other actors. Um, and Mark Hamill's. But that one line was almost like you know cringeworthy bad in how it's delivered. And so the idea yeah. that he goes from that to becoming like super scary as the Joker is just such an interesting idea of acting for me. Yep. Yep. I mean that just goes to show you that Mark Hamill decided to take an acting class or two. <laughs> Yep. Well, after the Instead motorcycle just accident, whining for yeah. two hours. God, couldn't stand Luke for so much of this movie. I was like, "Shut up, you whiner!" Yeah, and it, it's funny. I I think I I liked him more than that, but I definitely related much more to Han Solo than to him. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I think that's um a lot of the the conversations I've had. The people I know who often don't like Last Jedi, it's because they really could relate to Luke, and so they didn't want to see him where he was in Last Jedi. Um, whereas for me, I was like, no, this is just kind of a whiny bitch. And so, of course, you'd run away when things got hard again. <laughs> That's your default mode is to run away. Yeah. Uh, we, we do then also have in this um, the one moment of real inconsistency that I pick up on as well, or one, one of the biggest. But in, in fairness, when as I understand it, when this movie was made, they hadn't fully decided, 
like Lucas had a number of the ideas of Empire in his head, but he isn't sure on any of them, um, including the idea that Vader was Luke's father. Um, but the reason why I'm saying all that though is that especially once in the prequels, I mean Anakin has met oh, has met Owen and Veru. So for gener- for twenty years, a family named Skywalker on his own home planet has been raising a young boy. Why would it never occur to Vader to check on this? Like, wouldn't wouldn't you, like, if you had, you know, had this major change and come from this hometown and wanted no one to know who you were or where you came from or any remnants of you to be, like, wouldn't you want to go check up on it every now and then? I don't, I don't think that he did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that he necessarily wanted to ensure that, you know, nobody knew about where he came from. It didn't matter. He's the, you know, he's the Dark Lord of the Sith. He's That's like fair. this terrifying visage. It's like, okay, yeah, you know about my past. Like, that doesn't make me any less about to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can it, it's kind of like finding out that Clark Kent is Superman. Like, it doesn't make him less bulletproof. Like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I can definitely understand some element. Uh, like, one theory I've heard that I think is obviously not at all what was really intended, but could make sense, is that on some level, he was always thinking that if he had a child, that child could be, you know, his apprentice one day. And so he was always kind of thinking, maybe I'll try and find, you know, see, like, he believes that Padme's kids are dead, but he'll kind of keep an eye out for it later in life. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's certainly ways that that could work out. Yeah, there was, um, there was an inconsistency in, um, in Obi-Wan's tale um, when he's like, Obi-Wan, I haven't heard that name since, or, I, you know, I stopped going by that name since, you know, before you were born. Like, yeah. um, no. that's not, no, <laughs> it's uh, false. Well, and I, I think it's, there's so many elements here of the time dilation that the prequels, I think, make this movie make less sense, you know, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but just all the stuff about, you know, Vader, your, your dedication to that ancient religion. Um, it's 20 years ago. It's 20 years ago. And every, like we have in the Clone Wars, it is canonical that that governor that uh, at that point, like uh, Officer Tarkin fought alongside Obi-Wan and Anakin. And most of the other officers probably would have done the same. If not those two, they would have fought alongside Jedi. Um, you know, even Han Solo would have spent the first 10 years of his life in a world in which the Jedi were still the dominant force in the galaxy, or at least were believed to be. Um, cause he's supposed to be about 10 years older than Luke. Um, so yeah, so it, it's just, it, it, it's hard to blame this movie for it, but it definitely does make some parts of this movie a little like, eh, okay. I'm being reminded that doesn't quite work. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not this movie that, that is the problem. Right. This movie is not the problem. This movie started it. Everything else should have been made by people who went back and watched it to yes. make sure that they're not messing up the canon. Yeah. Like and one other thing that I noticed in this, and then it, it it makes it feel like there's a major part of the Force mythology that is not explained. How does Obi Wan know that Luke is Force sensitive? It's never like the Obi Wan just assumes Luke, you're the child of, of of Anakin. I want to train you to be a Jedi. Watching this, I don't feel like there's any such thing as Force sensitivity. <laughs> I feel like any you know it's kind of like martial arts. Like any person can train to be a Jedi if they get a good teacher. Um, which is then very different from what we get much later of like, you know, it's like a switch is turned on this whole midichlorian bullshit. 
Um, what, what was your take on that? Did you kind of pick up on any of that as you were going through? Um, uh, I thought it was really irresponsible for Obi-Wan to just be like, hey, you know, you're 18 now and you've never played with a lightsaber, but hey, here's this. <laughs> I got a gift for you. By the way, I'm going to have this little ball shoot lasers at you. Have yeah, fun. also, here's also a, a thing that's going to just zap you repeatedly. Uh-huh. Uh, because I'm a senile old man and I'd like to see you in pain. <laughs> like he, the, the way that he's like, I've got a gift for you. And he walks over to the thing, pulls out his, his dad's old lightsaber. And he's just like here and just hands it to him. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> and then the way, uh, the way that Luke, like he turns it on and immediately it's like almost almost immediately straight at Obi-Wan, like, oh, you just killed him. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely treated it with a little bit more respect in some of the later movies. But again, <laughs> it's, it's that kind of like... I, I think sometimes there's a, there's a, a trouble that happens when... Because I think part of what I have to remember is that when they made New Hope, like, Lucas in part financed this himself because he had no idea... Like, the studios were like, what, are you crazy? This is a... You know, sci-fi is for kids who like you know live in their mom's basement and are the, the 1970s equivalent and this isn't gonna be shown on major theaters and the fact that it was nominated for an academy award for best picture is because it so blew everyone away it was so totally different than anyone anything had seen i can understand that maybe in that point lucas is like you know what i'd love to make nine other eight other movies and eight million other things but this might be the only shot i get at this i'm gonna leave it all on the table so he yeah. wasn't he wasn't consciously thinking in terms of how do I leave this open for all the rest of the storytelling. And I think that happens sometimes. And so when you try to build an AU around that, an extended universe around that, it's great. But sometimes it's hard to fit it into that original stuff, you know, because it, 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 it this idea like that anyone can be force sensitive. Well, maybe that isn't what you want to go with a larger story, you know, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, because then, at, you know, at that point, it's like, why not just train everyone to to use the force and enhance everyone's lives and then you get into oh well not everybody um not everybody needs to have the force like you know ashley coffin would absolutely use the force for bad yeah (laughs) you know so like she obviously doesn't need to be uh need to be trained but then like if everyone can be trained and you don't train some people because of the idea that they would probably do bad is that is that unethical you know like can you can you make that decision and do it ethically? I, I don't think so. Yeah, well, it's hard both ways because also the idea of your biology is a particular way. So we're going to take you away from your family when you're four years old and train Oof. you like and sometimes not do a very good job of training you. You know, I mean, like uh, I'm, I'm not even talking about that, though. If we if we just go with the uh, the possibility that anybody could be force sensitive like this movie mm-hmm. shows you know, if if everybody is okay, then why not teach everybody? But then, if there are people that would use it for bad, you can't teach them. But then, right? You know, you're you're blocking some people off because of what they could do. Then that's, I mean, that's not right. But what? then, sorry. Yeah, go, no, go ahead. I, I don't know that I really had another. Okay. But then, <laughs> uh, so let's so cut I'm that off for it. I think that's so true, and and in this one, you know. Obi-Wan is naming that he didn't teach him very well. You know, that he, like, I think part of what they're saying is that you need to have, 
you're basically teaching someone to play with such incredible fire that you have to have a very, very good teacher to make sure it doesn't go off the deep end. Um, and you're right, that just raises all kinds of ethical questions that we're not really sure where they fall. And I I like the comment, the commentary that some of the later movies go into it, but I also think sometimes they avoid that, you know, those difficult questions. Um, yeah. Just doing kind of a similar thing, like, you know, when I'm six years old and I watch Obi-Wan, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Like, that, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. I wanted to wave my hand like that all the time. Now I'm like, hmm, let's actually discuss the ethics of mind control. And like in that moment, you're trying to get through and I get like this is what you should do. But to me, that's I think one of the the biggest slippery slopes is granted this is chronologically going the other direction. But it doesn't see, it seems to me it's a fairly natural evolution to go from I'm about to get killed. If this doesn't work, these are not the droids we're looking for to you should go home and think about your life choices. Or, you know, what you don't want to sell me death sticks. You should death go home sticks. and contemplate your life. Like, um, yep. I should go home and rethink your life. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. And, okay, so <laughs> we we really only have ever seen uh, the, the Jedi mind trick used on one person at a time. Mm-hmm. So when he's in the speeder and they're sitting there with the droids and he just says to the one stormtrooper, like, you don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. He can go about his, about his business. Move along. Like, all of the other stormtroopers yeah, are either I've just... I've had this thought. <laughs> it's like they're all being mind-controlled, or only he is, and the rest of them are just like, meh, whatever. Yeah. Oh, they're <laughs> not the droids we're looking for. This is fine. You know, they just watch all this happen and be like, no, no, like, you, no, you, what are you... What? Yeah, it it definitely is a little bit of a special scene. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and the headcanon that I would have for it is that Obi Wan has developed his power to the point to where he can do the Jedi mind trick on everybody in yeah. the vicinity. Yeah, or some like level of like I'm mind tricking this person, but I'm making everything else just a little fuzzy enough that they don't quite notice this person acting weird. Because, like, you know, if you're commi- if the one inspecting is the one who's then like, oh, no, these aren't the ones we're looking for. They can go about their day, move along. That makes sense. When you hear, like, a long pause in between those sentences and maybe the other guy talking to your friend, the stormtrooper, eh, this is when some eyebrows go up. Yeah. Like, you hear the guy say, you don't need to see his identification. It's like, yeah. uh, yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just butt in for a second. Yeah, he does. That's our job. If I'm working at the bar and the bartender's like, ah, oh, no, you know what? I don't need to, 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 to card that person. I'm sure they're 21. I'm like, mm, that sounds like a fine to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if I know yep. Vader, if I work for Vader and Vader might not be very happy. If we, like, I, I'm going to be a little extra diligent on this. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't. I don't like fines. Vader doesn't yeah. give fines. No, no. He, he doesn't take you $500. He takes your head. Um, yep. <laughs> or your ability to breathe. Yes. Um, Careful I, not to choke on... Never mind. No, no. Yep. I, one thing I also really like about this, and I, I don't think I picked up on this until I was an adult, and then I really was like, oh, this is awesome. Um, I find that movies about you know, kingdoms or powers or empires that are so powerful that no one questions them anymore and they have no reason to ever, ever be concerned. It's interesting, but a little boring, you know, because it just is so over the top and I can't relate to it. Um, I liked that in this one, the empire is, there's, it's 20 years later, but they're still kind of getting solidified. You know, 
Um, the the officer who comes to Vader is clearly concerned about how this will look to the Imperial Senate. Um, right. the, the officers, when they're gathered around and are talking about, like, you know, can can we keep the bureaucracy in line? And, and Tarkin's like, fear can keep it in line. But they're all a little bit unsure, you know? And I, I like that. I like that this is kind of a real turning point moment for the Empire itself. Yeah, I thought it was it was nuts that, like, Tarkin walks in and is just like, Ah, no, the the emperor dissolved the senate or dissolved the council. Like he did what now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he whoa. <laughs> he <had> that, <laughs> what? <laughs> and like that's a, I mean that's you know like that's one of the steps of taking power from a democracy is that you eventually like decide you know, and from like you know Nero to deciding that the Roman Senate didn't need to meet to you know Hitler disbanding the Reichstag. Like that that's a thing that happens. It's a part of the fascist takeover. But it's great to see that you know and to see so many of the generals. Um, and I just like how much they bicker with each other. Like there's all the like the petty power games and struggles. Um, it, this is such an interesting thing. Um, when Le- when uh, Princess Leia sees um, Tarkin and Vader come in, she says, "I should have guessed Tarkin that it was you holding Vader's leash," which is interesting because like to me what that says is that Tarkin's in control. Like Vader yeah. is like the really good like you know he's the he's the you know he's your your fixer he's your hitman, but Tarkin gives Vader orders not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. And you know they they showed that um in the the that council meeting when the guy was like, "Oh, you're antiquated religion, blah blah blah." And Vader just starts to choke him. Tarkin was like, "Release him." And he's like, "As you wish." Yeah. Like, "Ooh, he's why is he in charge? Well, I you could kill everyone in this room. Why are you taking orders from him?" It's one way in which I think Rogue One perfectly understood what was happening and helps to fill in this gap because the way I read it is that for the most part, Vader has kind of been off doing his own thing on Mustafar, you know, and just chilling and maybe like helping the Empire Emperor when he needs, but he's mostly kind of done. And that Rogue One is when he realizes like, no, okay, people are kind of incompetent. I need to get in this. I need to help. And and then, then over this movie, you know, and then this movie, he's working under Tarkin and then by um, uh, Empire, you know, everyone above him is either dead or incompetent. So he's like, okay, fine. I'm taking over. I'm, I'm now very much the second in command. Um, and I don't think I would see that progression such as, so much if Rogue One didn't, like, set the, set the grounding of it. Yeah, yeah. So there is, there is good from some of the later movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even though there's a little bit of inconsistencies about, um, you know, Leia lying her face off yeah but i mean she i mean i i noted in my notes when she says dantooine she's such a good act like not only is carrie fisher a great actress we know this but i think clearly we're supposed to think carrie uh princess leia is a great actress because she looks so defeated and broken she looks like okay i'll give away the secret to you so i save my home planet um and the fact that she does that and then bald faced lies is so good yep i mean she was already just lying you know every bit that she could like oh no we're a diplomatic vessel this is right. you know we're we're going back to alderaan because you know senate mission you know i'm a senator mm-hmm. <laughs> and vader's like no you're full of shit is what you are yeah yeah it's kind of great <laughs> um and then i mean like the destruction of alderaan i mean it's so hard to watch but it's it's I love the anticipation, the way it builds, you know, the like ignite ignition and like the three or four steps of, of firing that laser. Um, it, it just, it just makes the whole thing so evocative. 
Yeah, it um, it really drives home just how much power has to go into it, and like, you know, how much or uh, all the steps, rather, all of the um, all of the the wheels in motion, all the cogs in motion that go into wielding that amount of power. Like, yeah. it's not just a simple thing. Even though Vader's just like, the power to destroy a planet is nothing compared to the Force. I'm like, uh, I don't think that you guys have ever done that, though. Yeah. Have you done that, though? It, it, and I think, like, that's a thing of, like, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm a citizen on another planet, I'm like, okay, they have the Force. Well, it's, it sounds really, really big and powerful, but, you know, go have a good I'm day. Over I'm going to live my life. And then yeah, it's like, like, oh, but now they can here, blow up fine. your now they can blow up your ship, your your planet. You're like, oh, that that doesn't quite match up well for me. <laughs> That's not great. Um, I wanted to go back though and talk a little bit more about Tatooine, um, because there's a couple things there that I think are so interesting. Um, first of all, just there's the line from Obi Wan, uh, when they're at the Jawas, when he says that only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise with their blasters. Yeah. That doesn't really hold. That that's definitely a moment of like, you can show and not tell. But if you tell and then not show, it's really bad. <laughs> well, I think it's more like if you tell and then show different. Yeah, exactly. Even much it's, so. Even more it's so. It's real bad. Um, um, but what what do you think of Mos Eisley? Because I, I just think... I, I want to hear your thoughts. What's your whole take on the whole like Mos Eisley scene? Well, I mean, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah, it's such a good line. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I remembered Mos Eisley from... Or, like, I guess the difference in Moss Eisley uh, from The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And the the spaceport now looks so vibrant and alive. And, like, there's so much going on, even if everybody there is a, just a jerk. But, like, there's, there's so much happening yeah. there. And then if you go and look at it in The Mandalorian, there's, like, there's stormtrooper heads on spikes. Mm-hmm. And everybody's pretty much really... Or, is that where that happened? Yeah, that's where that happens. Yeah. Um, and everybody's just kind of unhappy. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, uh, it's such an interesting thing about like, what, happen- right. what happens after the war, you know? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, like, I don't mean to keep hiring this point because it, in some ways the history of it doesn't matter. But I, I, I was just so blown away again watching it, like all the different alien creatures and all the different dialogues and things happening. There's so many. And it's just like... I think now we're kind of used to that, but this was totally unheard of, you know? At at the time, like, people's conception of aliens was Star Trek, where it was aliens have, you know, funny ears or different color skin or something like that, but they still look fundamentally humanoid. Yeah, um, they're, they're still generally two arms, two legs, bipedal. Right. Uh, torso, a head, maybe. And you see one that has, like, a hammerhead, you know? Like, a freaking shark uh, or something. slug monster. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I thought all that was so good. Um, in terms of Slug Monster, though, I don't know if you meant you meant this. Um, well, first of all, I don't think we have to say it. It's just to say, Pawn Shot first. Pawn Shot Pawn first. first. Pawn Shot first. End of story. That Greedo scene is so good. It's so, like, tense, tense and setting, and you just ignore those five seconds. Pawn Shot <laughs> first. Yeah, uh, honestly, it's just, it's one, like, frame or two. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very teensy little clip where Han has his head in a particular position and then it like magically teleports to one side and then they both shoot at the same time 
according to Disney Plus now, but it looks weird. It looks weird yeah. when that happens, and that that goes against his character of like he was. You could see it. He was leading Greedo's eyes uh, to the left with his hand up on the wall and looking yeah. up there at, as well, like trying to draw his attention up there and not to, at his oh, his never right side. Up on that detail, but you're right. It's so well done. Yeah, he's he's leading he's leading like a freaking magician. Yeah, you know, distracting on on the left side so that Greedo doesn't see his his right hand going for his blaster, and like that is absolutely a Han Solo thing to do. Yeah, uh, it's so yeah, such a good scene, such a dumb two seconds addition. Yeah, um, and then like after he shoots him, he like he tosses money to the barkeep's like sorry for the mess, and did you did you notice the way that he staggered out? It was kind of like, it's it's almost like his he was coming down from the nerves from like yeah, from being like all hyped up, you know, adrenaline pumping, mm-hmm. or he was like sad that he had just had to shoot somebody. I I don't I couldn't I never really like, put it together before. But I, I think the first is more likely, but I think the first is a really good way to think about it. Um, you know, because it's just yeah, it's just like that's such a like you know you're just like catching your breath after such a tense moment. Yeah. Um, and it's sad that in like. For the most part, I don't like the additions. I just wouldn't be much happier with the original versions. Um, we'll get to Jedi, and I'll talk about why I, you know bring back Yubnub. Um, but like, I think the single worst addition in any of these three movies um, is the is the new Java scene. Well, you didn't like him stepping on his tail. <laughs> is there any menace to this character? Is there any reason to like? Jabba in Return of the Jedi is he's menacing. He's fearful. He's like almost Darth Vader like. Um, I don't think I would have felt any of that if I'd seen this scene. If I'd seen this scene beforehand. Yeah, I mean the way that Han, the way that Han treated Jabba in that particular scene in this movie, like it seemed like he was just kind of slapping somebody around saying like you'll get your money whenever i feel good and ready to give you your money yeah yeah 100 and and then you like he says your job is like you know that plus 20 percent you know and i'll i'll let it slide and then han's like don't push your luck it's gonna be 15 like you're not in the position to say that bro yeah (laughs) like you're the one asking for more time and especially because when jawa said jabba i keep saying jawa when Jabba says, you know, and if you fail me again, I'll put a price on your head so big. I thought he already did. Wasn't that the whole point? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is now the definite, like, I play poker. I understand how this works. Han Solo has now called your bluff. You can't bluff again. That's not how it works. Um, yep. Yep. So, yeah, I I thought all that was kind of dumb. Um, and just, like, a little thing. The jump to light speed animation is just so good. Like, I just... I. I know it kind of sets the tone for everything now, but I just love that look of like all the stars going to lines and like the jump to light speed there. Yeah. I love that there's, um, there's a, a build up to it, you know, mm-hmm. how there's, you know, I got to put in the calculations. I got to do all the, the math. I have to set the course in the nav computer. Like we might go through a star or go too close to a supernova and like all of these things that could go wrong and why he has to do these calculations. Like, they're bringing, or I I never realized how much science was actually already in there. Yeah. Even if there was bad science in there. 
Yeah. But I never realized how much science was already there. I, I think that's very true. I mean, I think, you know, purists will say this is not science fiction. It's space opera. And I think that's true. You know, it, it is not like hard science fiction by any means. But in the same way that like most of them are, you know, like the arc reactor is 100 percent hand waving science. But like they sort of kind of try to explain it a little bit. Um, I feel like that's kind of what this is. You know, the the Marvel movies like this has a lot of like, yeah, the science kind of works. And, and they, they're, they're giving you enough to sort of understand it. But then being like, oh, but don't care. Look at all the pretty explosions. Right. <laughs> There's lasers. Yeah. The guy. The guy sorry. Uh, the the stormtrooper when they were running toward the uh, the Millennium Falcon in Mos Eisley was like turns to the others like load your weapons boys yeah I'm like they're they're laser weapons they're already loaded like yeah. what yeah what are you there's there's some talking like, about so here's a question for you and granted I don't know the optics of lasers very well but but here's my understanding of things um a bullet is fired down the length of a barrel yeah and. The longer the barrel is, the more that it will stay on course because, you know, it, it does have a tendency to like wobble or anything like that. And so the shorter the barrel, the more likely it is to go off course. With a laser, that doesn't make any sense. So why is a longer laser rifle more accurate? Or even just there's any reason for it whatsoever. <laughs> like, I, uh, I mean, a longer laser rifle might have room for more light focusing potential and deal more damage but they're both i mean it's it, a, a light beam goes in a straight line right you know very gently affected by gravity <laughs> and it's a mostly straight line so uh they're both going to shoot the same but a larger one might have more power yeah that's about it that, that could maybe make sense um Anyway, so uh, we now get to, you know, our heroes land on the Death Star. They get sucked in. Um, kind of a fun scene there. I, I love seeing Obi-Wan, like, actually affected by the destruction of Alderaan. You um, know, something that I noticed that was different in this one uh, versus... Um, uh, blah, 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 words. Something that I noticed that was different in this one versus... Um, Oh my god, brain! It's the place. It's, uh, Rogue One, Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> okay, something that I noticed that was a bit different in this one versus like in Rogue One at the end, where uh, all of the all the Tie Fighters come out, you know, around the the archive planet that I can't remember the name of at this moment. Um, the Tie Fighters in this movie only ever show up in like groups of four yeah. or five. Mm -hmm. There was, I mean, there was one spot at the end where they were like, there's 30 of them, but it really didn't matter at all. But then in rogue one, when all of the tie fighters get deployed while the, the rebels are, you know, making their attack runs on the, on the shield generator, there are like hundreds of tie fighters in there. Yeah. And they come out like a bee swarm. And like that, the, the TIE fighters in, in this one are basically inconsequential. Yeah. But then like in a new, in Rogue One, when they come out like that bee swarm, like that's, that looks scary. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, that's again, one of the things where like they kind of figured it out later in the movie. And we'll talk about like the, 
the dynamics of space combat uh, later. And it's interesting <laughs> because in um, in the shows then, especially in Star Wars Rebels, it goes back the other way. And often, like, during guerrilla combat, you know, when you've got, like, six people fighting, like, on a, you know, in a tiny part of land, having a single TIE fighter join the battle is terrifying uh, in a way that was hard for me to imagine at first. Because, like, oh, TIE fighters, like, you know, they, they, they crumple like paper when you shoot them, you know? Like, yeah. um, they have no shields. They have no warp drive. Hyperdrive. Oh, my God. That was a horrible thing for me to say. Um, yeah. So I think that there's just it, – it's interesting how that's evolved a lot over the time. Um, and that single fighter couldn't get very far. Yeah, no hi- no on its own. No hyperdrive. Um, Ugh. there's that one great line that Obi Wan has. I mean, he has a number of them, but um, uh, this kind of it, to me it, it sums up so much of a lot of this movie. Uh, when they're captured on the Death Star, they're figuring out what to do, and he says, "You can't win, but there are alternatives to fighting." Um. So much of this movie seems to be about, like, you don't win by going heads up, you know, capital ship to capital ship. You go by being so small and agile that they don't even expect you to be able to do any damage. Um, and, and I just think that's a really interesting, that, that line. Granted, what I'm talking about is a different way of fighting, but, like, even here, you know, Obi-Wan wins by losing the fight. And, and he helps him get away and all this stuff. It's, it, it's such an interesting little, like, concept for where, what the movie is about. Yeah. And there's a, there's a parallel to that. Uh, what you were saying, like being so small that nobody really like they don't even care. You know, you're inconsequential. Uh, there's a parallel to that at the end of the movie when they're like, you know, a single man fighter is nothing to them. They won't care yeah. at all. They didn't build their defenses to be ready for it. Right. Yeah. But it kind of seems like they did. Yeah, I mean, they had some, but I think it's still nowhere near as many. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they were like. You know, they're too fast for our turbo lasers. It's like, really? They're flying in a straight line in this one canyon. <laughs> yeah. Should be easy. We'll get to that. I definitely have some questions about the space battle. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like in some ways, when I hear that idea of like the one snub fighter, it also reminds me of the Rogue One line, you know, one fighter with a sharp stick, you know, that just like, yeah, you don't have to have all this technology. You can just do it. And that's clearly that's such a. And George Lucas talked about this later when he talked with uh, Joseph Cam- uh, when Joseph Campbell also talked about this. You know the power of myth and the the idea that this movie is so much about you know man versus machine, um, and and the, the the idea of like nature and and, and things like that overcoming uh, the machines and all that. Um, there's a scene where they're trying to rescue Princess Leia, and. They get into oh the, right the uniform yeah they 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 use the uniforms and you're short for a stormtrooper and I love all that but like when they're first breaking into that area they have to start shooting the cameras and this became like when I was playing like you know cops and robbers or Jedi or any of that stuff when I was like seven or eight years old like shooting the cameras became super important to me it'd be like you know pointing my gun at every like light fixture or or switch or something like that and I watch it later and I start to like yeah the idea of like blowing up the camera makes sense. Why are there so many different kinds of cameras in this one entry room to this one prison hall? I, <laughs> I counted. There are nine different cameras, and they seem to fall into three different kinds of, like, maybe one's a microphone or something. Like, that seems a little bit of overkill for one prison hallway. I I, I don't remember them being cameras for some reason. Like, I guess that they were. I, I just, I for some reason, I had it in my head that they were... Um, 
like defense turrets mm, okay. or or defense installations that would shoot at bad people but like how do you discern what's a bad person right in that instance um yeah i think i took it as it's a way of like cutting off what what everyone else knows and that's why the the guy from the empire then asks like what's going on down there yeah but also like (laughs) we're fine we're fine everything's fine you shoot one of them and then you shoot a whole bunch of others while like the surviving cameras are still watching so not totally sold on that either but you know fair enough yeah but like the one security guard who's got all these cameras in front of him doesn't like he's not watching he's probably getting donuts that that's fair that's fair you know we gotta add the human aspect to the empire in that regard yeah um (laughs) and then we get to princess leia like we haven't really done character by character analysis we kind of talked about different ones we'll keep doing that but what what what's your overall take on princess leia as a character as a character when i when when first introduced to her she seems really bossy mhm but every uh every hard or not hard decision but every every decision that she makes that takes the team in a direction seems to work out and like maybe she could be a little better about pr <laughs> or you know maybe a little bit a little more tactful rather than just being like, I'm a princess. You have to listen to me. I'm in charge. Like that's not the way to go about it, but you know, there's an alternative to fighting, (laughs) but she does like, she does prove that she is a solid tactician and, you know, in the moment can get things done. Yeah. And she makes a really, really crazy face when she's firing a blaster. (laughs) I, I I think a lot of that's true. I, I don't read her as bossy. I think I more read her as, like, recognizing that Luke and Han have a whole lot of heart and very little brains. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so that she kind of, like you said, she needs to be the tactician. Because in some ways, like, you know, she's the experienced professional re- re- rebel. You know, these two are just yeah. Johnny-come-latelys. Um, she is definitely very much the first crush I ever had. And I mean that in the kind of way, like, a seven-year-old boy, you know, there's there's nothing, like, sexual about it or anything. You don't even understand the feelings. You're just like, ooh, girl pretty. Um, and I remember even to the point where like, I didn't like her much in Jedi and the whole like gold bikini thing. So I was like, what I loved about her was how powerful she was and how competent she was. And I always get a little offended when people were like, oh, so you're a huge Star Wars fan. Your fantasy must be the gold bikini. It's like, no, my, my fantasy is too Danish to strap to your head. Like that's the direction I wanted to go. (laughs) Um, but I think what I liked about it so much is, and it definitely made me aware of this in so many other movies because the seventies is very radical. She's not a damsel in distress, you know. She's yeah, no. They rescue her, but she immediately rescues them. You know, she doesn't just um, like I loved the um, Superman movies, but like compared Lois Lane in the in the in the comics is great, but in the Superman movies, she kind of just sits around and waits for Superman to rescue her, and that was true of a lot of movies in the seventies and eighties. And so for Leia yeah. to be so powerful and so strong. Um, and so in command and, and like you said, so bossy or sarcastic, you know, she refers to Chewbacca as a walking carpet. Um, like I just love it so much. <laughs> and you know, like she shows that, that inner strength, that core strength that she has mm-hmm. pretty early on in the, in the film, like even before, uh, Han and Luke even get there, she's like, you know, she's resisting the mind probe. She's lying to Vader. Mm-hmm. She's lying to Vader's face. Yeah. Which is a dangerous thing to do. 
She's resistant to the mind probe. She lies to Tarkin. Uh, kind of gets Alderaan blown up in the process, but she still doesn't give up the information. Yeah, no, she holds true. And then, and then later, when they finally get out, she was like, no, that was too easy. They're tracking us. And Han's like, not this ship, sister. And she's like, no, you fucking idiot. Yeah. They're tracking us. <laughs> yeah, she's the most realistic. She's the most cynical. She, she's, you know, she, she understands what's happening more than anybody, say, more than any of the rest of them. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I love how intelligent she is, even though it may come off as a, as being a little bit on the bossy side. Yeah, she's got that take charge attitude, and you know, and, you know good on her. I, I would even push a little there, say how much of that's gender in terms, like, would would she seem so bossy if it was from a guy? You know, um, I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, um, I wouldn't like that from a guy either. <laughs> that's entirely possible too. Yeah, I mean, to me, more than anything, it's royalty. You know, it's just like she's yeah, used yeah. to everything being a certain way, and that's it's nice to have her have that. You know, kind of. Uh, not non-perfect background either. Um, I, I also noticed that, um, you know, cause, but looking back on it now, the idea that she has any romance with Luke, it always just seems a little creepy because we know they're brother and sister and her and Han are so perfect together. But in this movie, she clearly flirts with both of them. Like, oh yeah. With her and Han, there's that whole like bickering, which is very much a kind of like meet cute, you know, we hate each other till we realize we love each other thing. But then all the stuff with like, you know, her throwing her arms around Luke and kissing his cheek for luck as they're like, you know, swinging over the canyon. Like, there's very much a little flirtation happening there. Um, and I thought that's kind of fun because I think they did intentionally maybe... Uh, again, I don't know how much Luke has had it all scripted out, but it certainly seemed like you go into Empire kind of wondering, like, okay, so which one is she going to choose, you know? And certainly the, yeah. the start of Empire, they play with that energy some. You know, I honestly, when when she gave him that little peck on the cheek for luck, I I didn't mind or I didn't want that. Mm. I didn't think it was necessary. I found it to be forced and kind of cliche. Yeah. Like you're you're every man, farm boy, backwater hero has the girl in his arms and she gives him a kiss like, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Of course the nerd that made this movie is going to have the girl kiss the hero. And it's funny because it definitely does go against what I was just saying that she's not – because that's very much a damsel in distress move. You know, it's, oh, you're so big and strong and you're rescuing me. Um, And I think there's two ways to look at it. I think you could say that on the one hand, she is – you know, they wrote her to be a strong, powerful character. But they also wrote her with all the gender assumptions that men still have today often, but especially had in the 1970s. And so they fell into a lot of that trope. Yeah. The more the the other version I could see of this, and I think this might be a stretch, but maybe it's a good headcanon, is what were you just saying? She's very cynical, she's very diplomatic, she's very political. When Han is the she person who can him. help you much, you you flirt with Han. When Luke is only gonna get you by if he has confidence and thinks like, you know, if I win I get the girl, you let him think he wins he gets the girl, you know? Like I could see her doing oh, this wow. in a completely cynical, like Leia's the puppet master. Yeah, think of how she, you know, she <laughs> plays Tarkin and Vader off against each other. She knows that she's good at this, like, oh, I'm just an innocent senator. I'm I'm helpless. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, that's her thing. And so, like. That's such a bad guy thing to do, though. <laughs> no, you know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> you're manipulating people, Leia. There's, there's, you're part of the dark side. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of charm, you know, to, to get a 19-year-old farm boy to do what you need. Um, yeah, that's, she helping that's her. She, it's not like. Oh, risk, you know, risk yourself. It's like, hey, I want to make sure you have the confidence to succeed in this. Um, it's the it's the Leia mind trick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
<laughs> um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Other thing, I, I just the, the whole garbage scene. Like I used to love that as a kid. Now I kind of think like, why would the Empire want all of its garbage to be like one flat horizontal sheet? I don't quite understand <laughs> the physics of that, but you know, well, they they compress it all together uh-huh. uh, to the to a flat sheet. But what you don't see is it's actually kind of curved because it goes down a lot farther. And then they just take that and add it onto the outside for more armor. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's I like, recycling. I like that idea. It's recycling is all. Um, <laughs> especially given what we are just saying about like the, the difference in pace and tone and, and what this movie does compared to later movies. Um, as a kid, I loved this fight scene because the, the lightsaber battle between Vader and Obi-Wan. And I still think oh, the that, poke fight, the what, the poke fight. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like I think I still think it carries so much weight and is so psychologically powerful. But now compared, like it looks just so slow and plodding, and like two old men swinging at each other swords they can barely hold up. Like, yeah, I mean that's that that's kind of the unfortunate thing about the technology at the time. You know, like they could not make. Or rather, I, I don't think that they knew that they could that they could track, you know, the 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 laser sword in there quite so easily, yeah. and you know, it would have taken more time to do that across like a big fight. Yeah. Also, I don't think that Alec Guinness had really the physicality to do a big fight yeah. like that. But it certainly made it easier and and less time consuming to just kind of keep the swords, you know basically right in between each other mm-hmm. uh don't really don't really swing them around much just kind of do the you know the the small mm, excuse me do the the small movements keeping it you know keep it relatively tight and not have to do much in as far as post um i i really think that that was just a manage the special uh, effects a, kind of thing yeah it was a filmmaking decision rather than a story decision yeah, I, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, you know, it just seemed like, a, again, you know, small continuity thing. They decided at some later point that lightsabers aren't claymores, that they're epes and that you can do parkour while fighting with them. And that just, you know, like that just, it evolves. That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, parkour, parkour. And, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin are both old. You know, Anakin's a lot younger, but still, they're you know, much older than most of the other, you know, young whippersnappers. So I can kind of see that being yeah. their fighting style. Um, I mean, when you get a bunch of robot parts, you, you it really wears you down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's a bit rusty. <laughs> and I do think it's interesting that what they show then is Luke, you know, Luke watches Obi-Wan die and disappears. And I always thought that was such a cool trick when I was, you know, I thought I was, when I was a kid and I love the whole idea, like he becomes one with the force. Um, you know, that doesn't really make sense if they kind of explain it in the Clone Wars TV show. But then what does Luke do? He has this moment of utter anger and rage and just stands there shooting instead of trying to run away. Kind of dark side energy he's playing with there that we never actually go back to. Um, You know, not to mention, like, he's standing out in the open and no one can shoot him. It's a little like, come on, guys. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you think back when um, Ewan McGregor episode one saw Qui-Gon die when Obi-Wan was, you know, behind the laser field, he saw Qui-Gon die and was like, ah, and like pretty much immediately started tearing into, yeah. um, into Darth Maul. 
you know, I mean, he may not have been necessarily fighting in anger, but he was definitely fighting with passion. Yeah. And I think it's one thing that um, sometimes a movie will establish an extreme and then realize that, like, it, it seems like they sometimes care about it and sometimes don't. Um, <clears throat> and the fact is, like, if your entire – if the entire group of good guys in your movie, what defines them as good guys is that they don't show emotion – that's hard to make an interesting movie out of, you know, like emotion right. is fun to watch. Like, um, so yeah, I, I can get that. Like, I wish there was more consistency in when like giving into that kind of anger or passion is a good thing or when it's, you know, it is moving towards the dark side or whether maybe it's like, it's okay to move like that. And that's the whole, the, the Jedi are wrong for thinking that it isn't, you know, I, I wish there was more consistency in it, but, but it is cool to watch. Yeah. Um, so now we get to the, the battle of Yavin. Uh, what's what's your take on this kind of like the this epic space battle that we close the movie with? Um, some of okay, like I get that when you're showing the pilot in the cockpit, you have to show that there's movement. It has to be dynamic because it's a one man fighter and the whole thing is moving, and you've got to show that. But the way that they show that is what looks to be like one of those coin. Uh, rides outside of the grocery store. You remember when you would put a quarter in and sit on it and it would just like rock back and forth? Mm -hmm. Sort of like that, except with a cockpit around them. Yeah, the rocking back and forth was a little silly, I thought, <laughs> especially because we yeah. never really see it in any of the later <laughs> movies. Yeah, and like the, the ship is flying like pretty much in a straight line. There's no rocking. There's no, you know, being jarred or anything. It's just flying in a straight line. Like that, I mean, Top Gun did this. Why can't you guys, yeah. I don't know, like, I, I guess it's to show that it's dynamic and, you know, it is, it's to make it feel more like there's motion going on because there is a lot of motion going on. Um, and that's, you know, that's fine. That's just a nitpick. But the the space battle was kind of, I don't know, like, it, it felt like there was tension building, but it was like tension build, tension build, gone. Tension build, tension build, gone. Mm -hmm. Tension build, tension build, gone. Okay, now it's Luke's turn. Like... Ugh. I know that it's gonna I know that it's got to be Luke that does it. Every time one of the attack runs gets blown up by Vader, Luke looks like, mm, maybe I should get in there now. Yeah. Like, dude, you got everybody killed by hesitating. And, and let's be honest, this this is probably again, for pure nostalgia reasons, my favorite space battle to watch. Like I just I love watching it. I always have all these emotions. And when I let the emotions pass and I think about it. So much of it makes no sense whatsoever. Like, yep. if nothing else, okay, you have this single point, and the point is at the end of a trench. But space is, wait for it, three-dimensional. No. Why can't you just fly in a straight line perpendicular to the Death Star right at that point? Uh, that's, that's a tangential line. <laughs> um I'm trying to remember my <laughs> my calculus uh -huh. class um, or the physics class. Either one, they were they coincide. Anyway, um, no, it doesn't work because um, reasons. Yeah, so that Duh. that's a little weird. Um, also, like, yeah, again, like you know, so our our heroes are flying down the trench, and then the the tie fighters get behind them, as you said. Why can't the other X-Wings get behind them and blow them up? Um, but also there's this whole thing of like, so 
you know, are, are, I'm making all these hand gestures that you can't see, but hopefully you understand what I'm talking about. I feel uh, it. You know, I feel it. <laughs> a group of, of our heroes are flying down the trench, and then there's, uh, and generally there's one who's getting ready to take the shot, and two others who are, as they say, covering him. And the, the, the TIE fighters are behind them trying to line up the shot, and the guys covering them are like, I, I just can't hold it. I'm trying. You know, I'm, I'm, help cover me, all this stuff. What exactly are they doing? They're, they're being other targets. They're, they're being other targets. That's right. But they act as though like there's a th- like I just can't hold them or like do more to cover me. Like it, it, it seems like like that. What you're saying, like they're just flying targets to buy more time. That makes sense. But they talk as though there's some like strategic thing that they're doing. And that, yeah, they they talk like there's something that they're having to physically do to to be those targets. Like they're when they say that they're going in to cover them. My thought is, okay, well, what guns do you have that point backwards? Yeah. Or could you maybe turn around and shoot at them or no. something like that? You know, like... No, that's silly. Yeah, the the physics of that space battle just makes no sense, but... There aren't any. Yeah. But it but it, it still... And again, I, I can understand if when you it's not the first one you've seen, it may just not hit you as hard. I think for me, there's just still so much... You know, each one of those deaths, I tear up at a little bit. I, I feel, <clears throat> especially when the leader is the one to do it. Um, I, I noted they actually never used the word X wings or Y wings. Uh, I think that I think those names were first introduced when they marked when they were selling those as toys. Um, oh yeah, which is interesting to me. Um, That's funny. I mean, they did call the um, the the wings themselves S foils. Yeah, the S foils. Yeah, put the S foils into attack position. Right. Which, you know, that's whatever. Um, cool, you used a letter and yeah. made up some science. <laughs> sure. And it did feel like later, like, they, they get into this interesting idea of that they name ships by the letter they're roughly in the shape of. Um, but then you get ships like the B-Wing or, like, the U-Wing, which are just like, really? Like, did you have to build that ship that way and then decide here's the letter it represents? Or did you just be like, all right, let's build a B. We can figure out how to do it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but but the weird thing is they don't use the English alphabet, right? Or like anything even close to that. So what's an X? Yeah, I mean it's what? it's very clear that they are not actually speaking English. They're speaking whatever the language of this faraway galaxy is, and it's just translated into English for us. You know. Um, Except when it isn't. Right, except when it isn't. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that like the signs aren't is always just kind of weird to me. Um, yeah. I uh, I did like, though, that you know Red Leader was just like, no, don't come after me. I'm drawing them away with what little, you know, ship I have left. Mm-hmm. You guys go and get your trench run started. You know, maybe I can draw them off long enough. Yeah. But then... Then Han shows up, shoots one of them. The other one freaks out and flies into Vader, and then they like and then crashes and blows up, and Vader spins out. Right. Like what? Yeah, that doesn't make sense, especially because and I, I watch this carefully. What you see is Vader gets the shot lined up, and then you see Vader press the trigger. Now, last I checked, lasers like dice don't have memory. And once a laser is fired to a locked-on target, 
it doesn't care that a second later the people who shot it were surprised and knocked out of, you know, orbit or anything like that. Um, that that one moment was just like, you showed him firing the laser. Come on, that's not how timing works. Yeah, but then again, every other time they've shown him firing the laser, like, you know, it, it locks on to the X-Wing uh-huh. and he presses the button. It goes to, to the, the view from his point of view and it shows like firing straight down the trench and then like tracking over to hit the um, mm. to hit the X-wing. That's fair. Like being like beep 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 beep. beep. Now I got it. Yep. I'm like, why? That's such a waste. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and I did. I mean, it's a, you know, again, it's now such a cliche, but just when you hear Obi Wan's voice saying, "Use you know, trust the Force," and this idea of like not using a targeting computer, um. On the one hand, it seems very neo-Luddite and dumb, but especially in the 1970s when, like, computers were really just starting to emerge and people were really worried about, like, you know, computer versus nature and things like that. I, I like that I like that message of, like, you know, that, that, that man can do it on his own or humanity can do it on its own. Um, even if yeah. today we're like, well, sure, but now let me post about that and tweet about it and all this other stuff. Yeah, right. Like, let me, uh, let me use my bot to talk about it in Twitch real quick. Yeah. I, I don't need uh, a computer. I can do it all on my phone, which is probably like your average phone probably has more, you know, programming capacity. And like, you know, um, that's the wrong word. Your average phone probably has more uh, computational capacity than any of the mega computers they use to make this movie. You know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, just ridiculous. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of computers, though, <laughs> and talking to talking to droids, did you notice in the beginning of the movie um, Luke had to have everything R2 said translated to him by 3PO. And then when, when R2 was being loaded up into, uh, into his X-Wing, Luke was, Luke was like, everything cool here? And the, the guy was like, this R2 unit's kind of old and banged up. You, you do, sure you don't want a new one? He's like, nah, this guy's been with me through a lot. You okay, R2? And then R2 beeps and then he's like good yeah it's a well-established thing that r2 only needs to be translated if c3po is around to translate him otherwise everyone can understand him properly um and that holds through all of the movies and it's definitely kind of dumb you don't need c3po then (laughs) like go away c3po you know it's like one little bit of consistency um it would be really funny though like it was funny for me rather to think like right then R2 is just like, no, I'm not okay. I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and Luke's like, good. And he's like, you're not listening to me. I, I did find it always a little annoying that um, R2 didn't get a medal. Um, as well as, and, and they fixed this at the end of the, the uh, Rise of Skywalker, uh, but that Chewie didn't get a medal. Like, why did Han get a medal and not Chewie? Um, so right? It's nice they fixed that. Like, Han was at the gun. He wasn't flying. Chewie was flying. Yeah. Um, so just last things, like one of the things, uh, actually we can chat about uh, any of the characters that you want to, but I just wanted to say one of the things I love about this movie, I don't think any of the other movies quite do this, is there's a poetry to some of the language. And it, it sounds maybe to our ears like a little kind of like someone being Shakespearean or speaking like overly so, but I just love it. I'm thinking of lines like um, one you quoted before, um, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We shall be cautious. Yep. Um Darth Vader saying, don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. 
Like yeah. it's just it's just be- and then also um this is more comedic, but Obi Wan saying, "Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him?" Um, I just love dialogue like that. Yeah, it sounds kind of wonderfully old timey. I mean, it is a long time ago. Uh, yeah, and in a galaxy far away. Um, so it looks like it's even longer if we're watching it through telescopes. Yeah. Uh, some overall character stuff. So we talked to him about Luke and the development he goes through. We talked about Leia. Um, Han, what's your kind of take on Han as a character? You know, I love that Han had kind of, kind of barely any personal growth Mm -hmm. in this movie. Like he right up until the end was like, nope, I'm taking money and I am leaving. I'm taking money. I'm gone. Money and I'm out. I'm not doing anything. I hate this war. I'm not about it. Like, no, thank you. And then shows up. And he says, <laughs> when uh, when Luke was like, I thought you were leaving. He's like, I couldn't let you take all the credit and money for yourself. Yeah. Or credit and reward for yourself. It's like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you were just sitting there watching until it looked like you, like one move from you, because that's literally all he did was shoot one guy. Mm-hmm. That one move from you could turn the tide of the battle and you would win like of course you sat there and watched and waited until that moment you weren't gonna help i, I didn't get that i mean I, th- I think that's a little bit of him trying to like have some bluster and show that he doesn't want to quite admit that he came back for his friends um yeah 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 like i i kind of would like to see this whole movie from his perspective mostly because what i imagine it is is like the last 10 minutes of that battle are him trying to fly away while Chewie is yelling at him and he's being like, okay, okay, fine, fine. We'll go save them. You know, Um, (laughs) but I, I, you're right. He doesn't have much growth, but I think, I feel like he has the most potential for because yeah, he's, he's just had this major character turn moment. And I think it's an interesting question of, does he do it? Because on some level he's like, yeah, I need to fight the empire. This is screwed up. Or does he do it on some level? Or is it like, I like these guys. They're my friends. I should save them. Or does it, you know, that princess is really cute. If she gets blown up, I can't flirt with her. So let's let's see what can happen here. You know, like or like you know, I just yeah, I want all that money and power. You know, that sounds fun too. Yeah, um, could have been any of those things. Yeah. Uh, and what about Vader? What about how Vader is portrayed as a character here? Vader doesn't like he's the he's the the big imposing force, sort of. Mm-hmm. Like. I remember Vader being so scary and going back to watch this movie. It's like, okay, he chokes a guy. He fights with a lightsaber against Obi-Wan kills Obi-Wan, but only because Obi-Wan lets him and then doesn't really do much after that, other than like shooting down some other fighters. Hmm. He never in this movie, he never really, encounters luke other than to say the force is strong with this one right and that's because obi-wan is with him and uh, so like and it's not i don't know he he doesn't seem like he's that big and imposing he's just a, a mean guy on a leash so to speak yeah i think that really his his growth as far as becoming that that scary imposing guy comes in empire yeah 
I think there's some truth there. And actually, one thing you said uh, was an interesting connection for me of if we do think that they knew even at this point that Luke was going to be Vader's son, which I think I said earlier they didn't. And I think the more I think about it, I think they weren't sure if Leia was going to be the, the sister. But I do think that Lucas knew that they were going to be father and son. And, yeah. and so Obi-Wan actually confronting Vader specifically so that Vader never gets like, you know, into a mental connection with, with Luke and can realize who he is, is an interesting point. Um Though, though you often wonder, like, why didn't he realize that about Leia? But, you know, anyway, moving on from that, um, <laughs> I, I think I, I still do find that scene of him, um, you know, turning on the lightsaber in that darkened hallway and, and, and you know. In Rogue One? Well, no, no, that, sorry. Yeah, that is from Rogue One. But just, oh, no, yeah, right. That whole, all of that. It's, it's the choking. He, he comes into the battle afterwards. You're right. Um, I think I found him very imposing, but I. I couldn't tell you now, is it because I also saw him when I was three years old or because my first conscious memory of him is when I was also consciously remembering Empire. So I, you know, I, I knew I like, I don't think I ever had a moment where I, where I could remember having seen Star Wars, but not having seen Empire. Um, so yeah, so it, it's, it's hard to kind of know, like, where do you jump into the story with him? Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's right. I think the more I think about it, like, I like the idea of him not being like, because he's not like the Emperor's right hand at this point. He is, you know, another Jedi who's kind of in semi-retirement and is or not a, another Force user who's kind of in semi-retirement and is now coming into his own uh, in Empire, especially. I mean, did they even say the word Sith in this movie? No. Um, they said Dark Side a lot. Yeah, they never actually say the word Sith until uh, the prequels. Um, again, there was some marketing thing where, like, he, like, it was label on an action figure or a book or something dark lord of the sith uh and i don't think anyone had any idea what it meant it was just a fun marketing slogan or something like that huh but yeah i actually that surprised me i like went back and looked for it. i was like where do they refer to the sith and they never do um i think they even a couple times refer to him as a jedi or like as a dark jedi or something like that um th- there's a lot about the sort of well built out really well established force user world that we now know that just was not in this at all. And I think in some ways this was a very different idea of it. Huh. Sorry. I just, I just Googled the word like, or I, I Googled, um, star Wars, you know, first use of the word Sith. And in the etymology, uh, that I'm, that I'm seeing on Wikipedia, which is always absolutely 100% accurate. <clears throat> it says the word Sith was first used in the 1974 rough draft of star Wars with the first published use being the 1976 novelization of Star Wars as a title for the key villain Darth Vader, oh, the Dark Lord of the Sith. Okay, so it does come from the from the. It's not from like a marketing thing. It does come from from Lucas's pen, but yeah, I don't think it ever appears on screen. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's never mentioned on screen. That's mm-hmm. uh, neat. Yeah, that's that's. Hmm. I like it. It's a good detail. Um, yeah, and so any other kind of characters you want to dive in to or kind of major points you want to make about the movie? Let's talk about Wedge. Yeah, okay. I No, not really. <laughs> I don't care about Wedge. He's quite like... One thing I think is interesting, and it happens with Marvel somewhat, but especially it happens with Star Wars, is the way in which like very minor characters can become p- things that people are super obsessed with. Like, you know, Boba Fett has, like I think six lines in all three in the second and third movie maybe a total of like eight minutes screen time and becomes like such a cult figure that they make a whole tv show about his people um 
and, and I kind of think of Wedge and, and Biggs in the same way, like they Wedge especially, like he keeps showing up and it's kind of cool, but I I don't I don't have any idea of him as a character in any way. You know, he's just like he's a pilot. He's part of the rebellion. Yep. Um, you know, and that's he's one of the red guys. He's one of the red guys. You know, there's there's a whole thing in um you know, like I think the worst example of this is in um the first movie, the the first of the prequels, Phantom Menace. There's this character who appears for like ten seconds named Aura Singh. She's got a shaved head and a ponytail, and she looks kind of badass. And she like takes a shot at the pod racers. There became this like fascination with her to the point where she becomes a major character in the Clone Wars TV show. Um, and I've just it, it's one of those like the fandom was just like her. Tell us more about her. You know, we get five <laughs> seconds of her. It, it's like that moment, you know, that happens in D&D where it's like, oh, there's all your interesting constructed plot. But that goblin waiter, tell us his life story, you know? Yeah, my God, you guys did that. I was like, ah, there's poor people. Uh, it's a it's just a it's a hovel. Yeah. Don't worry about the poor people. You were like, I want to talk to every poor person in there. <laughs> uh, I want to give them money and get them out. For of reference, here. Jeff was running a Dungeons and Dragons game that me and a couple other people were playing by Zoom. And yeah, we had, we had great fun uh, torturing our dungeon master doing that. <laughs> I, I'm also running a game, and so at least you should know karma is hitting me. I'm having the same thing to deal with with my players. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, so I think that about wraps it up. Any other last comments from you? Um, no, I, no. I guess let me put it this way: so of the movies we've seen, we've seen five movies so far. How would you rank them? Uh, so let's see. Uh, episodes one and two are at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Episode three is not very far away. Then this one, episode four is um, second place, pretty distant from the bottom three. Okay. Pretty wide gulf. Uh, And then rogue one um, is the best of these five. Yeah. I, I, I was wondering, like, I know you you were not a big fan of uh, uh, of this one. I, I guess that it was still significantly better than the prequels, but I wasn't sure, and so that's what I was kind of wondering at. I think I'm I'm probably similar to you. I think the you know I think the second prequel is the worst. The first one is pretty bad. The third is a little better, but then everything else is much ahead of them. Um, and I think like if I have a critical eye, I think Rogue One is just a better made movie. Um, I think Star Wars is my favorite, though. Just again, because it's yeah, well, pure nostalgia. I mean, you know, it's 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 the none of them can be can be made without Star Wars. Yeah, you know, without the original. This it's the one that laid the foundation for the whole verse. You know, yeah. it's the reason that we're able to have this podcast to, to even talk about. Yeah, it. I think it's very true. I think, I think there's always a power to that. You know, like I I recently rewatched the first Iron Man movie, and Ooh. in a lot of ways, like it's you know. It's such a simple story. It's such a simple story. it's sto- so good. Well, and I was going to say, like, I, I kind of feel about it, I think, some of the way you feel about Rogue One. Uh, the way you feel about New Hope. You know, I, I watch it and I see a lot of the problems with it. And there's a lot of moments where I'm kind of like, really? But it's like, you know, I can't help but get chills the first time Coulson comes on, you know? And the first time we're introduced to these <laughs> concepts. Because, like, so much of the world that I now love, you know, the MCU, was all established in this movie. Um, and I think that's yep. kind of the way I can feel about New Hope. You know, it's like this, everything that happens later comes because of this movie. And I, I get those who, who do come later. And so maybe they don't, they just, for them, like Star Wars, just an existing thing and they don't need to go back to the beginning. Um, but for me, it's, it's where it's all started. So I'll always love it for that reason. 
Yeah. I'm kind of pissed off at the prequels, to be honest. Like, the the three prequels having so many things that that uh, that go against what was said in, in the beginning of this movie by Obi-Wan and the way that everybody that should already know each other, the way that they interact, and, like, how things don't quite work. I, I'm I'm mad that the prequels exist and screw that up because like this could have been so good, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like there could have been such great stuff. And if you watch it one, two, three, four, then all that just goes away. All that good or all that, <clears throat> all that uh, used to be good faith is no longer there. Yeah. No, I think it's very true. And I, I do think some of you said that it can also go the other direction, which is that like, there are people I know who have who have said that one of the reasons why they like the prequels so much is because they didn't know, like they had a vague idea, but they didn't know exactly what was going to happen to Anakin and what was going to happen to the Republic, and that you know the Chancellor was going to completely take over, and that you know for us going back and watching the prequels, we never had that. But but yeah, I, I do think this movie it shouldn't take away from this movie that the movies that came after it didn't honor it. But it unfortunately does because it's, it's you know, you're kind of waiting. You're like, yeah, but that doesn't line up, you know? Um, and that's just, it's unfortunate. Um, but anyway, fans, what what are your thoughts? Like, this is the one that started it all. Is it still one of your favorites? Is it, um, was it never one of your favorites? Uh, did you watch much later and maybe kind of went back and were like, yeah, that, that's fine, but it's all kind of really slow. Um, what are your thoughts? What do you think about what Jeff and I had to say? Let us know. Um, you can find us on Facebook and on, um, at Facebook at Star Wars Universe Podcast. You can email us, StarWarsUniversePodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us, SWU, the initials, SWU Podcast on Twitter. Um, You'll also find all of that and more at the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Um, We have a special page for Star Wars Universe, and from there also you can find all the other great podcasts that both Jeff and myself are on. Um, We have a number of different projects. Jeff does the MCU cast, which has some incredible stuff, uh, especially uh, recently a very touching tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Definitely check that out. And by the time this comes out, uh, The Boys Season 2 will have started to launch. And so we'll be having our uh, episode-by-episode uh, reviews, or, or discussions of uh, the episodes of that show uh, on uh, the Bingers Assemble Network, which is one more part of the... Um, I'm sorry, on Pandavision. Bingers Assemble's movies, Pandavision is TV shows. But it's all part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And if you just type strandedpanda.com, you'll find all that. So... Please let us know what you think. Please leave us a review. Please tell others about the podcast. Help us grow. And on behalf of myself and Jeff, everyone else involved, thank you so much. Have a great day. I have spoken. Yes, you have. 